Hello, friends. This is the Made to Wonder podcast. My name is Philip Elliott, here with my wife, Jenna, and you are listening to Episode 4, Cobweb to Cable, Part 2. In the previous episode, Jenna shared a few stories about how she was introduced to a refreshing new perspective on the subject of habits and how embracing a few changes over time has helped us transform our home. In this episode, we get into the application by sharing some personal stories, providing a few simple examples that may serve as a springboard for your own journey. So without further ado, let's get into this. So one of the biggest things that changed was how I thought about habits was realizing that habits are tenfold nature. We all have natural tendencies. Some we like, some we don't. But when I see things in myself that really irritate me, and when I see things in our kids that irritate me, I used to get really frustrated, and I do still, but I've worked on, instead of just staying frustrated and saying, oh, he's always been that way, or I've done this my whole life, now I look for, well, what's that bad habit that I've allowed to form in me or in our kids, and work towards replacing it with the opposite and good habit. So from the last episode, we talked about you cast a vision, you keep it simple, you're careful not to let the habit be skipped, and we don't cause friction. I love that last part. That really helps me hold on to the idea of I'm not trying to cause friction with my kids when we're bringing the stuff up. And every bad habit can be replaced with the opposite and good habit. There is not one way to habit train. It's just a different way to think about things that you would like to see improved in yourself or in your kids. So when people ask me, well, what habit do I start with? I always say, well, what makes you pull your hair out the most? What's causing you the most strife? What's causing your kid the most strife? What are they frustrated with? That's always where I, I always tell people to start. So one of the things that was causing us a lot of frustration was ever since we had kids, all of a sudden we stopped having conversations with the beginning, middle, and end. <laughs> we just had the beginning of a conversation and they never got finished. Yeah. And our kids were constantly interrupting us. I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> and so we used to get really frustrated by that. And then as I was learning about this, I was like, okay, Here's the bad habit. They are in the habit of speaking over people. Right. And it, it made it that, okay, that's what it is. So I would tell them, okay, guys, we're going to work on this. We're going to start a new habit. You're, we're going to work on not interrupting people. So you're going to, when you need my attention, you're going to take your hand and put it on my leg, but you're not going to talk while you do this. So anytime I'm talking to, to your dad or another sibling or a friend, or if I'm on the phone, to get my attention, put your hand here, and I would take their hand and put it, put it on my leg, and I'll cover it so they know. Now, this is me knowing I see you. I'm going to get to you, but you have to wait patiently. And just helping them repeatedly do that, when they would start to interrupt, I would just grab their hand and stick it on my leg. And what was interesting, so just this past weekend, we were out with the cows, we had a little bit of an issue with the cows over the weekend. One of them <laughs> might have ended up in a street. Um, <laughs> can neither confirm nor deny. <laughs> we maybe had to stop traffic to get the cows back. <laughs> and I think our neighbors kind of realized we came from the city. <laughs> yeah, I felt like Billy Crystal in City Slickers. And we don't know what we're doing with our cows, but they're back. <laughs> they're in the fence. But anyhow, but while that was going on, our youngest kid, she's six, 
she was, after that had happened and they were back on the fence and she was relaying to me what she had observed. Um, she was telling her story and I, I was so distracted by the events. I kept looking over making sure the cows were still there. And um, I stopped paying attention to her and she stopped talking, took her hand and stuck it on my leg and just waited <laughs> until I looked back at her. That's and it, awesome. was, it was actually really cool because um, while this wasn't even me being interrupted by talking to another person, it was so interesting that it was just a habit with her. She knew, oh, I don't have mom's attention and said, and normally what she would have done before is just talk louder and louder and louder until she's screaming, like, look at me. <laughs> but she'd replaced that with the habit of to get mom's attention, I touch her leg and I just wait. And it worked and I felt her and I, I covered her hand. And then once I stopped looking at the cows and I <laughs> went back to, okay, tell me what you were saying. Yeah, there's so many ways, so many habits we can find throughout the day that are driving us crazy and driving our kids crazy that we can replace with, well, what would make us all feel less crazy? Absolutely. I mean, I love that particular topic of not being interrupted because I remember when we were struggling with that early on, there was a, a couple who was instrumental in some things that they shared with us around this topic. And one of the things that they said is they remember always being like, you just kind of get used to it at the beginning there of always saying, well, so, so as I was saying, because <laughs> you get interrupted so often, but they also were, I believe the same couple who introduced us to the idea of putting the hand on the leg to, Hey, hey we're going to give you a, a, a means to get mommy and daddy's attention. It doesn't have to be that mommy and daddy are constantly having to break conversation, lose their trend of thought, all the time instead there's a way there's a way to make it to where the child isn't frustrated and the parents not frustrated too and and I, and I loved I love that solution that was really great well yeah and it's really just a matter of saying you don't need to speak over other people but you can still get my attention right without speaking <laughs> <laughs> you no know, it's been really helpful the kitchen's another place where there's tons of habits to work on in the kitchen I love this quote from a book. No pain should be spared to make hours of meeting round the family table with their parents the brightest hours of the day. Here it is the parents' opportunity to train them in manners and in morals, to cement family love, and to accustom the children to habit. I love this quote because I love the idea that mealtimes should be a bright hour for the kids and the parents, and that conversation should be happening, cementing family love, all that stuff, while also a great time to train them in habits and morals and manners. And so then that idea got me thinking, okay, how pleasant and bright is our mealtime? <laughs> uh, there was a time when it was not so. And right. one of the frustrations was when our kids were little, they didn't know how to sit in their chair mm. and they would just run around and get up when they wanted to. And you're like, no conversation can happen when people are constantly getting up and moving. And, and even the squeaky noise of the chair, like all that, it just distracts everything. And so I was like, okay, we got to, we got to work on this and let's just, can we just sit down so we can have a conversation as a family while we're eating? And then one of the ways I did it, and again, there is no right or wrong way for habit training. It is whatever works for your family. Uh, go with it. And it's just try to do something that isn't going to cause friction. So what I did, I know it sounds silly, but our kids were little and kids like silly things. And it worked with them is I would say, okay, guys, you're getting out of the table or getting out of your chair. And it's, it's just causing a lot of distractions. We can't, can't we keep losing our train of thought. Nobody can talk. So what we're going to do is I want you to sit in your chair when we're eating. And I don't want you to get, to get out of your chair until the end of the meal. And then I want you to ask, may I please be excused? And then wait for my answer. And we'll say yes, 
but I want you to wait for that. And when you forget, because you will, I'm gonna take super glue, and this was just pretend super glue, but I'm gonna I'm gonna pretend to super glue you down to your chair to remind you, just a silly way to remind you to you're stuck here. And they would just giggle. Like they were like three and four and we were doing this and they thought it was so silly. But um, when they would jump up, I'm like, oh, let me get the super glue and I put them back down. And I glued them to their chair for several weeks. And then over time, we just stopped gluing them. They formed the habit and they just, they sit in their chair and, and they asked to be excused. And what's been really great about that is we're not dealing with that strife that we used to deal with and all the noise and distraction and the chaotic feel that it brings. And our dinner table we can just talk and have conversations and everybody can be engaged because they're all, they're there. Yeah. It's the, it's foundational to being able to have a conversation. I mean, imagine being in a room full of adults and you're at dinner and if everybody was wandering around the table and you're trying to have a conversation with them, it'd be no different. It'd be just as frustrating, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that with this is, is giving everybody rails. They just understand, okay, in this scenario, I'm to sit down. And the benefit that comes to me is that, is that when I'm speaking, there's nobody wandering around either, you know, because we, we have our kids share uh, what they did today and they kind of give a little bit of a recap of what was going on, but it's really hard for kids and adults to be able to share and to talk and to be, and to keep their train of thought when there's, uh, wandering around, you know, the table and all that. And, and then, you know, the other, the other con is that, you know, their food gets cold. And then the, the next problem that comes to it is that <laughs> now my food is cold and, and I don't want to eat it because it doesn't taste as good anymore. And, mm-hmm. and we just, we all both young and old thrive on having some measure of rails, you know, that help us. And we, and we enjoy it when, when we have those laid out for us at first, maybe there's resistance, but after you, after you uh, embrace it, you really grow to appreciate it because it benefits you too. Well, yeah. And the whole idea, like I had this vision in my head of, okay, I want our family mealtimes to be pleasant. And that was something we can all enjoy, kids included. Along with that is another habit that we did was how we can talk about our food and mm-hmm. how we cannot talk yes. about our food. And so we've had kids in the past say all kinds of things. Like you put food in front of them and they're just like, this looks like poison and (laughs) I am not touching that food. And, you know, they're just, they will share their thoughts on what the food looks like or tastes like. And I was like, okay, well, that's not pleasant for anybody to hear. But I also want (laughs) them- Especially if it has any resemblance to anything that kids find to be, you know, in the potty humor department. (laughs) Which ours Uh, do all the time. And they will gladly call it out to you, let you know. (laughs) And so, you know, I like the idea of not only enjoying our- family meal times here, but like going other places. I was like, okay, I don't want our kids to just be shouting out what they're thinking mm. w- without a filter. It's like, we need, we need some habits here. So one of the things we did was um, we have a habit of how we talk about the food when it's put before us. And I keep it simple. We have one phrase. <laughs> We're like, okay, guys, when something's in front of you and you don't like it, or it's new, or you're skeptical, <laughs> what is this? There's all these things you could say but they're usually offensive and rude, especially if we're at another person's house. So we're not gonna say those things. But here's what you can say. This is not my favorite. And you can tell me, it's okay to say if you don't like something, but there's a way you can say it that is not rude and offensive. And especially if you're at 
somebody else's house, you know, you, you can still say, hey, this is not my favorite. And that, that's, that's fine. But I'll respond with, thank you for telling me, but you can still eat it. Right. And we've worked through that. And it's helped our kids. They get to share their opinion. They get to let us know when it's not their favorite. They also have learned they still eat it. And they don't just get to sit and gripe and complain and just change the entire mood and atmosphere of the dinner table. Okay, we all know you don't like this. But now that's all the, you know, let's move, let's get back to the conversation. Let's get back to having a bright time at the <laughs> dinner table. Well, and, and I know that there will be folks that hear this and they think there's no way, not with my child, like there's certain foods that they don't like and they're just, this, this is not possible. And I, and I will say it doesn't just kind of like work immediately. In other words, um, we have a child that's still sitting at the table and she struggles. She's struggling right now, but she's our youngest. And so she's learning this habit right now. Mm -hmm. And then as they've gotten older, just like, you know, being glued to the chair, She's also the one that gets up the most and wanders around the most. And we are working with gluing her bottom to the chair. We're also working with her to share in appropriate manners how she feels about the food. And we went through this with every single one of our, our four kids. And now, you know, I look from the oldest to the youngest, you can see this like spectrum of, <laughs> yeah. of acceptance and an appropriate behavior being displayed mm -hmm. in both of those categories. So our oldest doesn't complain about food. And he started off. And he did when at the he beginning. was three and four. He literally ate nothing but peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Yeah, and that's all he ate. And I and I looked at him. I was like, "Oh man, like he this is all he's going to eat for the rest of his life." Well, and, and honestly, that was because we, we were, were we were it. young parents, and we we're <laughs> yeah, like, "Yeah, we didn't PB and J, easy, let's do it." <laughs> yes, <laughs> so, but but my point is, is that we changed what we, we did. We changed, yeah, we changed what we did. We started to, one, train ourselves for how we should help him to rightly behave at the table. And over time, that got better and better and better to where now at age 13, we have no issues with him in his expressions when it comes to food. You know, he'll let he us know. He requested sushi for his 13th birthday. Right. <laughs> Just he'll to show that he went from such a range of... He'll, he'll let us know if there's something that, that he's not in, that isn't... Not his favorite, but yeah. he's it never comes across rude. And I, I don't really ever see him not eat what's put in front of him. And then you kind of work your way down the down the age ranges and and that spectrum starts to lean further and further towards mm -hmm. the, the youngest, which the youngest is doing the you know, she's getting better, but she's still still working on she's it. She's really you know, it's a struggle right now. And yeah. so we're working on it with her and it takes time. time. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of time. Yep. And um, yeah. And then another habit in the kitchen that I found really helpful is when it's their turn to get drinks for people, I have them say, hey, every time you get drinks for the table, I want you to serve everybody first and serve yourself last, whether it's the drinks or the spoons or the plates, whatever it is. But it's such an easy way to get them beginning to be in the habit of considering other people. And because it happens daily, they, they're doing it often over time they just start doing it without even realizing it. And they just start, habits become your character over time. Mm. You just start considering, oh, let me get that for them first. Let me serve myself last. And I've seen this with all four of them as we've done this repeatedly. And it's so simple. There's no friction. It's not me nagging them. Now you go, whatever, think about this person. It's like, hey, when you do this thing, just do yourself last. Yeah, I mean, it's even like when, when food uh, comes to the table now, I have watched our oldest oftentimes intentionally, maybe not even, I mean, he might not want to do this, but I see him make a choice 
to grab the smallest biscuit sometimes, or the thing that might be perceived largely by the group as the lesser desirable thing, because in his in his heart, he's wanting to do that right thing of putting the rest of the table before himself. And that wasn't always the case. It's, it's really funny because when we when you know cookies were made, every child is looking at the plate and they're surveying the size and they're in their mind they're mentally measuring which is the largest cookie, which one has the most chocolate chips, and their immediate selfish internal desire is to grab the largest, biggest, most chocolate filled cookie possible. <laughs> and and we started having conversations about that kind of thing. It was you know and it was and it was stemming from you know, this habit that you're talking about here of, of considering others, putting, putting their needs before your own. Don't always grab the largest thing. Don't serve yourself with the best every single time. It, it goes back to, you know, biblically speaking of not sitting yourself at the best seat at the table. Be, be willing to be humble and, and find the reward in seeing the enjoyment of others when, when they get to have those things. And, and it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't happen all the time. And I don't certainly expect for, for him to always reach for the smallest thing or the, mm-hmm. the least desirable thing, but he's making choices now that he's willing to willing to do that in service of his siblings, which I think is really cool. Yeah, he's at least willing to consider mm-hmm. <laughs> that at times. Yeah, yeah, and it's all just little habits here and there. They make a big change. Another area that we've I've changed how I think about habits is with chores. <laughs> One being I never thought about chores before when we started habit training. That's when I realized we needed to start doing chores. There's this book called Parenting by the Book by John Rosemond. And he did an interesting job comparing the 1950s to today and how parenting looks different of what it looked like back then to today. And one of the topics he talks on is how chores and kids, what it looked like in the 1950s versus what chores and kids looks like today. And I found it really fascinating But one of the things he was just talking about was in the 1950s, you would have found a kid by the age of three doing chores, by the age of four doing as many chores that his mom was doing. By the age of six, um, five and six, he was doing more chores than his mother. And that he was in this book, he's saying in today's time, the average seven-year-old is virtually chore-free, that chores just aren't happening as much as they used to. And I know I didn't do a lot of chores when I was a kid. Uh, that was just kind of the culture we were in at the time. Like none of my friends were doing chores. Like none of us were doing, <laughs> like it just was, it was just the culture. But um, as I was learning about this and reading about chores and realizing like, oh yeah, my kids aren't doing chores. Okay, let's start making habits on this. It was really hard for me because I didn't have a framework of where to come from. So I had a friend tell me, if your kid is capable of doing it, let them do it. Don't do it for them. And that was so hard and it is still hard for me today. I still have to work on this because it's much quicker and easier to do it yourself than to have a kid do it when it's slower and messier. But the benefit is is worth it to to push through that. So when we were starting chores with our kids when our oldest at the time was eight, I had to pick an easy one because I chose uh, making our bed. So I was like, okay, we're going to start making your bed. Um, so every morning when you get up, I want you to First thing you do is just make your bed. And I went and I showed him how to make his bed. And this is what I want you to do every morning. And then I looked over in our room and I was like, and I'm going to start making my bed because I wasn't making our bed at that time on a regular basis. And so um, I was like, we're going to do this together. We're going to start making our bed every morning and I'll do it too. And so 
we weren't causing friction. We're just, let's do this together. And, and then on the days when he didn't want to do it and he's like, I don't want to. And for all my kids, when they've gone through that, um, I have found it really helpful. I'm, I'm not trying to cause friction. Let's just get the chore done and the habit formed. So I just go with them. I'm like, okay, let's go do it together. And just when I go with them and help them make their bed, it changes their tone because mom's here to help. And it goes way quicker. We, and it, we just make it as quick as we, let's just get it done. Bring the corners up. And and uh, that's been really helpful. And it was an easy place to start. And we've added on many chores since then, but that was our the first thing we started with. But just the idea of how they now are, all four of them make their bed every morning. Most of the time, I don't have to remind them. Sometimes I do, and then they run up and get it. But there's no friction. Like they're, It's just a habit. Their bed is made. It's done. We move on. We can go have breakfast. And so that with the habits, I have just looked at chores in a different light. And these things that we're teaching them, they seem small. Make your bed. Even the, the little things of there's a lot of things around the kitchen that are like that helping clean up after a meal, the small stuff like that uh, is teaching them life skills that will, that they'll carry on into, into adulthood and make them more enjoyable human beings to be around uh, for a future roommate. I, I think, I think of this because I spent, I guess almost 14 years working at a university and I watched a lot of young people come into the university system for the first time they'd they're living in a dorm for the very first time and or you know with a roommate for the first time and this is the oftentimes the first time that i for many of the kids i mean it was the vast majority at that time when i would when i would see them come in had never done some of these things in their life Uh, they had been so cared for uh, and sheltered in that regard, uh, they didn't have any responsibilities. They didn't have. They never had done laundry before. They had never uh, had to make their bed, clean their room. You know, they would just come into their room, and their room was nice, nice and magically clean because mom had come through and and picked it all up, or their clothes were were all neatly put away, and somehow also just miraculously clean. And for the first time, they're having to figure all that out. And it caused a lot of strife and friction because you would have the few who grew up and their parents had required that of them, or they just, by necessity, they just had to take care of that. And then they were living with someone who was a total slob who didn't know how to do all these things and didn't really care to learn, uh, or they were just overwhelmed. Uh, How do I even turn on a laundry machine? How do I, how do I do these basic life skills? And you don't realize what a service you're doing for your child in the simple task of asking them, hey, every morning, make your bed. You're forming this wonderful habit that will make the next one that much easier and the next one easier. They will be living in a room that's ordered and put together, and then that will be a blessing to their roommate, their future spouse. It just has all these kind of like uh, downline trickling effects that we don't really think about when we are initially doing this as parents. We're just thinking, let's just start there. It's hard. I, we had to learn how to make our own, you know, make our own yeah. bed, you know, <laughs> and uh, in order to not be, you know, total hypocrites about asking our kid to make their bed. But the point being is that it makes them, helps them enter into into uh, the rest of life and their interactions with other people and become more enjoyable human beings mm-hmm. uh, to be around. Well, and the other benefit is it makes it more pleasant in our home now because I am not the only one taking care of this house. And because we have trained them in so many chores, 
they are, they are do so much around here that it is such a help to me. Mm-hmm. They, our kids, all four, all four of them strip their own, when it's time to wash um, bedding, they, they strip their own beds they themselves. Vacuum, they vacuum the house. Uh, I, we've had our youngest <laughs> on her own, to the best of her ability, clean the kitchen. Mm-hmm. I remember we walked in Hunter one day and she was very proud of herself because she had loaded the, the dishwasher, I want to say, mm-hmm. and cleared the table. And it, it just... It's neat to see that and they, evolve. Yeah, and, and you watch as they learn these little skills and they build on it. You can see the um, they do take a pride in it. Of they know how to do something. It goes back to learning how to use your hands. Yep. and having life skills. So it's a benefits for them in mul- multiple ways. And I will say, as part of that, for those of us uh, who are perfectionists or have a way of doing a thing. We kind of have to let that go just as a, it's just an important thing to note that they will never fold the bath towels this exact same way that you do. They may not even make their bed the exact same way that you do, but the fact is that they can make their bed and they can fold towels. And uh, and you're not having to do it. And you're it. not having to do it, you know, and and they will get better with time, but as, with you know, little hands are doing their very best. And so... Mm-hmm. Uh, some of us who, you know, reside more on the kind of type A side of things might be tempted to just say, well, I'll just do it myself and fold it so that it looks great on the shelf and is perfect. But that's missing the opportunity that that child has to, the the ability to rise to that eventually. Mm-hmm. And they can't do that if they don't go through the steps of less, you know, well put together, um, not quite perfect, that will eventually lead to some semblance of more perfect, you know? Yeah, so. no, it's true. And the, one of the ladies that was helping me in this area when we first started doing it is she shared with me exactly what you're saying. She said, when you're introducing a new chore, always show them how to do it. So they like take the time that this is how we do this thing and show them how to do it, but then let them know, okay, now, now it's your turn and you can do it and they will do it differently and that's okay. Let them do it. And she said the exact same thing. It's not going to be per- perfect in the beginning, but that's okay. They will get better mm-hmm. as they get older, but just they're learning the habit to do it and also learning the habit of hard work. Like that's another habit to always be working on and to find the um, satisfaction in, in work done well. And it's doing the small things that enables you to do the larger things. Mm-hmm. If you can't make your bed, if you can't put away the dishes, if you can't fold clothing, if you can't do a simple thing, maybe like sweep the floor or whatever, little little things. Uh, if you can't uh, think of others when it comes to your just your siblings around the the table and grabbing the, you know, not not grabbing the best of things or or serving them first. If you can't do those smaller things in this controlled environment of the home, it'll be very hard to do that elsewhere once mm-hmm. you once you leave the home. So this is the perfect space for this to be developed. And just a side note that goes with this, there's not one way to do this. Exactly. And for some people love Excel spreadsheets and color coding and chore list and a rotation. And if that is you and that works for your family, Mm -hmm. that is fantastic. And get your kids on an Excel spreadsheet that you've made and color code and work them through that in a rotation thing. And that works for some families. And then there's other families where no one wants to make a spreadsheet and they don't need it color-coded and that's stressful for them. And that's okay too. Yeah. And there are other families that, um, there's this one family 
her kids each had one permanent chore for the entire year. Yeah. And that worked great. And so one kid did the dishes for the entire year and one kid swept the floor Mm. for the entire year. And each kid had a chore that they did consistently, but they didn't do a rotation because right. it would that was that didn't work for their family. But their kids were doing chores, and so the whole point is, work, go with what works with your family. What is a blessing yes. to your family? The chores are still getting done. That's that's key. And they're learning those little critical life lessons as they go. It'll be unique to your own family. I, I loved it. you were talking to someone this week about how both of y'all had not figured out. How to fold a oh the fitted a fitted, a fitted sheet yep and her res- and her response <laughs> was yep I, I can't do that either and uh, still haven't figured it out and so her solution was to roll up the fitted sheet with the flat sheet and stuff it into the into the pillowcase so they're all together <laughs> so at least it's together yeah and I thought that's brilliant we're probably gonna start doing that <laughs> <laughs> because, because you know uh, only you know a few and Martha Stewart know how to fold a a mm-hmm. uh, fitted sheet perfectly. I mean, no offense to all, all of y'all who know how to do that. I have watched videos, tried to figure it out, and I still can't do it. And yeah, my, I was gonna say, I've my watched... mother can do it. I've seen it. Mm-hmm. Her, everything's really pristine on the shelf, and I've never been able to figure out how that's done. I know. I've watched. But the point thing. is, it doesn't mean well. Then I'm just not gonna. I'm just not gonna put things away, or, <laughs> or I'm or I'm not gonna even you know organize because pff, I can't do it. You know, the the point is that there is some type of you know some way to do it, and and we can carry our kids along with us in the process of doing it. And sometimes that just means that we have to learn that too. Mm-hmm. Um, like like we said, we were for sure not making our bed a hundred percent of the time. And when we started looking at teaching our kids to do these things, we had to pivot and start doing it too. Mm-hmm. And we've um, now made our bed yeah, every, every day morning. for the as as long as our have is what been like four or five years since our kids have been doing it. The right. same as our kids. Yep. <laughs> We've been doing it the exactly. same as our kids. Okay. And the last thing that I was going to share was there are, you're right. You start with whatever habit you want. That's, there's no right or wrong way, but I do find that interesting. There are three habits that Charlotte Mason always recommends working on in the early years of life. And if your kids are even later on in life, that's fine too, just whenever. But I found these to be really helpful for me is the habit of obedience, the habit of attention and the habit of truthfulness. And what I liked about the habit of obedience was the idea of a child having the child work on the habit to obey the first time without grumbling or complaining, which is a pretty big idea. <laughs> um, and a few things that she says about it, I have just found helpful to me to think about it in this way. She says, it is enough to say, do this in a quiet, authoritative tone and expect it to be done. The mother often enough loses her hold over her children because they detect in the tone of her voice that she does not expect them to obey her. She does not think enough of her position. The mother's great stronghold is in the habit of obedience. The thing that matters is that the child should be daily confirming a habit of obedience by the unbroken repetition of acts of obedience. And then two things that the mother is careful to do is she never gives a command she will not see completed. And she does not give a command heaped upon command. Meaning you're not just barking orders all day long at your kid. And this picture has really helped me change how many commands I give in a day 
and how I do it and to ex- to not give it unless I'm going to actually follow through with it. And I love this idea of habit of obedience. That was such a new thought or new idea to me. Um, and one way that I've worked on this, there's many ways, of course, there's never one way for, you know, all, all families are different and kids are different. But one way that I've worked on the habit of obedience is every time we would go to the park and I would tell the kids, okay, and I would say this as we're driving up to the park, okay, we're going to be at the park for you know, the next, you know, 30, 45 minutes. And, but I want to remind you guys, when we get there, you can go play, but I'm going to give you a five minute warning. And I'll say in five minutes, we're going to leave in those five minutes. That is your time to, if you didn't get to the swing or get to the slide or the monkey bar, that is when you go do that. (laughs) Because when the five minutes is up, I will say one time, kids, it's time to go get to the van. And I will only say it one time. And I would, and I would tell my, I'd explain it. I can't go chase you. There's four of you. If you, you guys can scatter in four different directions and I cannot go and get all of you off the playground. So, so again, we're talking about it, getting up there. I'm casting the vision, keeping it simple one time. And here's what happens if you don't, if I have to come and get one of you and bring you to the van, that means like, we're going to skip our next park date. Or if we come, we're going to come just for half the time or whatever. But it always had to do with, if you don't come the first time, there will be a consequence and we don't come back. And I would have to follow through with that and not go. That, I think that's the key is the follow through piece of it. It's 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 kind of like the cliche of like, you're in the car on a car trip and the kids are misbehaving. They're being really loud. And you, you know, you see it all the time in like a movie or something. If you don't stop doing this, you know, in the back, we're going to turn this car around and go home. <laughs> and you know full well, you don't mean it. Yeah. Um, yeah. They're empty threats. They're empty threats. And you, you, you don't want to be about that because kids will sniff that out really quick. Mm-hmm. And if you give that kind of leeway where they're able to see that, oh, mom always asks me five times and and then she kind of loses it. And then I know, oh, I better come in. When the steam and, is coming out right, of the ears. Exactly. Then I and know then now because, she means because it. then I'll say, okay, I wonder, last time it was five. They're not actually counting in their head, but they're starting to notice that like one time she doesn't really mean it. Two times, maybe. Three, mm, I'm pushing it, but I'm still able to play a little bit more, swing a little bit more, climb on those monkey bars just a little bit more. And, and that doesn't need to be that way. And what you said is, is I think, so important. One, you 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 gave them instruction ahead of time so they knew what the what, what the uh, expectation was and that you're only going to do it one time. You're going to ask them once. I'm not going to just sit here and be a broken record and repeat myself, repeat myself, repeat myself, because they will continue to carry that out as far as they possibly can. Mm-hmm. Um, not because they're evil little children, but because that's just their nature, you know, and we're mm-hmm. trying to we're trying to hone that. And they will quickly learn that if I do this, if if the expectation is once and mom holds to it or dad holds to what he says, and there's a consequence that follows if I do not obey, and and that's been clearly stated and it's fair and it's re- and it's uh, relevant to the you know to the offense, if you will, man, it it's amazing how how effective that is. And then over a you know consistent enough period of time, it becomes not an issue. Mm-hmm. You know, go to the park, you tell them it's time five minutes, time to go, and they uh, come. and they come, and there's no grumbling. Well, and I love how this is worded in the quote: "Do this in a quiet, authoritative tone, and expect it to mm-hmm. be done." And that your kids are understanding, oh, this is expected of me. Right. I just need to do this, and they will. (laughs) And it does not require elevated voices Mm -hmm. or frustration to get the child to 
understand that this is I really oh I really must obey this. Yeah, this is this was a game changer for us with obedience. Yeah, so basically we all have natural tendencies. Our kids do as well. But we don't have to stay in our natural tendencies. We can change our leanings, what we're leaning to, by creating the opposite and good habit. And this can help us and our kids become a little bit more pleasant in those areas. And we don't just have to stay in, well, this is just who I am and how I've always been. We can work on changing that. There is always hope. Habits are a tool that we can use to help our kids and us be a blessing to those around us. So in conclusion, for the days that are rough and don't go as planned, this is one of my favorite quotes. Charlotte Mason writes, let the mother go out to play if she would only have the courage to let everything go when life becomes too tense and just take a day or half a day out in the fields or with a favorite book or in bed without the children. Life would go on far more happily for both children and parents. (laughs) I love that quote. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. I love that. Well, thank you so much for joining us uh, for this this second part of Cobweb to Cable. If you like what you're hearing, please rate, review, and subscribe to our channel so you don't miss an episode and so that others have an opportunity to find us too. We hope you join us next time. And until then, keep wondering. <laughs>